0: Uh, once again, welcome. Uh, everyone, good to see you all here. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, for a sermon. I'm going to walk through our psalm for today, that Psalm 40, and um, uh, share some ideas on how you can walk through that psalm yourself and pray through it, and uh, maybe get some ideas on your own spiritual journey to go about. Uh, I, I started doing this when COVID first hit, and we started doing things online. Uh, a lot of pastors were doing these sort of check-ins via Zoom and Zoom things. I'll confess, our congregation never really took to Zoom as much. Um, I had these pastors, they were like, yeah, I got Zoom this and Zoom that. And, you know, and, and I, I, I won't deny I got a little Zoomed out. Um, I still cringe every time I get an email from the Synod saying, this year we're not going to do our Synod Assembly in person we're going to spend three days on Zoom. Um, uh, and uh, so, but they were doing all the Zoom stuff. It never worked for us. Uh, so I thought, how could I sort of keep people connected online? I was new to YouTubing. So I thought I'd go back to the Psalms and just pull out Psalms and walk through the Psalms, pray through the Psalms a little bit. Because the Psalms, you may not know, most of the Psalms that we hear in, uh, that end up in our praise songs and stuff are the very happy songs, psalms, right? You know, the one we read at funerals, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or create in me a clean heart, O God, or he lifts us up on eagle's wings, um, every praise band's favorite song, you know, and he shall lift you up. I, I always loved it, my home organist hated it, so people would pick it just to make him cringe. Um the psalms we, but most of the psalms are not always necessarily like just straight happiness. They're really more like people's prayers and their struggles, almost like they're reading their prayer journals. And sometimes, like at the rest of us, they have struggles with God. Sometimes they have struggles with themselves. And Sometimes they're mad at God. Sometimes they're mad at Moabites and Ammonites and Hivites and all these other ites that bothered them. And um, some of the psalms are not terribly friendly. Uh, They're asking God to smite this or that person. And I used to struggle with that. I'm like, why are you asking God to smite all these people? It doesn't mean God did. Uh, It means what they're asking, right? Who among us has not gotten sat down in a prayer and asked that God would take the revenge for us that we cannot legally do? (laughs) Right? I'm not asking, I'm not asking. You know, that you, you know, make that guy's car stall. But if you did, God, I wouldn't be, I'd be okay with it. But I'm not asking. Whatever. That's, the Psalms are much more real. So uh, I started walking through those. I think I'm up to about 80 now. Um, and I can't believe I did that many. Most of them are like 10, 15-minute jobbies. But uh, so someone came up to me and said, Lars, why don't you do one of your Psalm meditations as a sermon? And I was kind of like, eh. But then we got to today, we got Psalm 40. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna walk you through this one and walk you through the different sections of it. The psalm's written as a poem and I'll give you some questions with each chunk on ways that you could put yourself into the psalm, ways that you could reflect on it uh, and pray through it yourself. Because that's in large part what the psalms are trying to do. You know, they're showing you their struggle so you can pray with it yourself. So. Let's start at the beginning. Here goes. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently upon the Lord, who stooped to me and heard my cry. So think, where do we begin most of our prayers most of the time? It's when something bad happens, right? When when something comes and creates a problem that we don't feel like we can control, that we don't feel like we can fix, because if we did think we had it under control and we did think we would fix it, we would just try to fix it, right? And we probably would not give God much of a second thought in the midst of this problem because we would think we could just fix it. But for the psalmist here, something came up. Something came up that was bad enough that the writer couldn't fix it himself and had finally felt like he needed to turn to God. And It's it's an ask, it's a cry, it's a loud, uh, desperate ask for help, and it says, Then he heard no answer, nothing. No answer. For a long time, crying and crying, no answer. But he had patience, and he kept going, knowing that God answers at different times than we want. And eventually it says, God stooped. The creator of the universe stooped down from on high to help the life of a lowly songwriter. And God listened. So here's the first question. Think back to your own life and would you have asked God for help? When was it? What drove you to desperation enough that you actually got the courage to ask? And how long did it take to get an answer? How long did it take an answer? When you think of yourself in your own time when you finally had to break down and ask, how long did that take? Psalm 40, let's keep going, verse 2. The Lord lifted me out of the desolate pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a high cliff, making footing sure when things are going well and we think we have everything under control, how often do we actually turn to God? I mean, be honest with yourself. How, many, how often have you actually turned to God when everything felt like it was going your way? When life is good and how many times do you just stop and say, thank you, God, for this good home, good life, good family, good health? Or is it more likely that you say to yourself, My hard work, and my sacrifices, and my dedication, and my good decisions made this good home, and this good wealth, and this good health. And so I made it myself, and I deserve it. But then what do you do when it doesn't work out? Or that falters? Well, you try to get yourself out of it. You try to fix it. You try to buy your way out. Or maybe you medicate or you go to a like-minded Facebook group to crowdsource it. But we all know what happens there. You're only going to that group because you know they already agree with you. But We all know. We all know that life isn't like that, that sometimes the things we are dealing with are beyond our control. And we can't fix them with effort, and only by realizing that we aren't in control And that we are powerless, can we begin to get control back? Especially, I think, in America, we like to think that we are, as individuals, control of our own destinies, that we can fix things with our own effort. But in reality, often it is only when we acknowledge that we are powerless that we can begin to get control back. You know, we get achieved through our good work and hard decisions, and that works until it doesn't. And when when that doesn't work, it can get real easy not to turn to God for help if the problem is small, right? Maybe I try to bury it until, until, of course, it's out of control and now I have to acknowledge it. The psalmist here uses this image of a desolate pit. Now, psalms are poetry, so the images, it's good to sometimes kind of sit on them a little bit, think about them a little. A desolate pit Now this isn't a rich pit, this is a desolate pit. This isn't a pit dug in rich black earth full of roots and grubs that you can eat and use to climb out with. And if you're grossed out by the thought of eating grubs, remember, the things look hideous, but they're actually quite nutritious. (laughs) There's your your wilderness survival thing. There are some cultures that that eat grubs normally. There's some in the Amazon where they get like really big like you get like six and eight inch grubs and it's like a test of your manliness if you can like eat the whole grub in one setting this is not that pit this pit has no grubs it is bare it is dirt you have nothing nothing to work off nothing to climb on nothing to lean on or the image of the miry clay miry clay i always What's, a, what's miry clay? It's kind of like quicksand. It's, it's sticky. You can't, you can't get out of it. You can't get a footing enough to try to get out of it. You know? It, it, I, I've only, it's, like when, it's like when you go caving. I don't know how many of you have actually gone caving. I've done it two times in my life. I am not a caver. This, was, this is not my thing. Uh, because the image you get of caving, right? When you think of a cave, think of a cave. What do you think of? Probably a flat-floored tunnel with a nice, round edge. And you walk through it nicely and easily till you get to a giant chamber full of pretty crystals. In reality, caves form where there's cracks in the rocks, right? So how does a cave form? It slowly erodes these cracks. So all you're doing is wandering through cracks in the rock. And if you've ever been to a heavily trafficked cave, like if you go to Pepper Sauce up at the north end of Oracle there where 7.5 million people visit it every year. You go in and it's, and it's wet, so it's still active and there's st- it's still water, and you're stepping on it, it's all clay, and you just slip slide everywhere. And it's all you can do to get a footing and not slide in. And uh, that feeling of trying to walk, but you have no footing, and you have to rely on your feet, but your feet aren't stable, that's a really disconcerting feeling. Really disconcerting when there's a deep hole in the bottom, too. That's what the psalmist is talking about. You are in a place where you you really can't do anything by yourself to get yourself out of it. The the desolate pit, the miry clay, these are images of powerlessness, images of of where your own independence and self reliance will not get you there. And I worry sometimes, particularly in our country, that you know, I love that we have the independence and the freedom that we do, but with that often comes a lot of us thinking that we are so independent and self-reliant that we don't like to admit our weaknesses and we don't like to admit that we need help. And we see admitting help as a sign of weakness and we feel humiliated and embarrassed to have to ask for help. But I would argue that sometimes the strongest thing to do is to admit weakness. It takes more strength to do that than to bottle it up and turn to a bottle. So here's the question. When did you feel that you, when did you fall behind and get into a problem that you realized you couldn't solve yourself? What did it take you to turn to God and how did it feel when you did that? You reflect on that. And think about that. What? 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 When was it? T- when did that happen? When I finally went and asked for help? All right. Verses three through five. We get a big chunk here. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many shall see and stand in awe and on put their trust in the Lord. Happy are they who trust in the Lord. They do not turn to enemies or to those who follow lies. Great are the wonders you have done, O Lord my God. In your plans for us, none can be compared with you. Oh, that I could make them known and tell them, but they are more than I can count. So the psalm goes from struggle to desperation. And now God, or I'm sorry, yeah, it goes from the struggle and the desperation. And now God has pulled you up and lifted you out. And so what's the reaction? psalmist goes to singing praise. psalmist goes to singing praise. It's so exciting, I can't help but sing. It just spontaneously comes out because there's so much joy. There's no worry about what other people are thinking. There's no worry about what you look like or whether people think you're crazy. You don't care if they're going to judge you. It's just so much joy that you just have to say it. And the the Holy Spirit, it's like the Holy Spirit puts that song there, the psalmist says. And so we get this song, and it goes on for a few verses. And there's something so spontaneous and uncontrolled about faith, where the Spirit works that way. And and, and there's a real joy in surrendering and letting yourself go and putting yourselves in the hand of someone you can trust. It's like this burden of trying to be self-reliant just goes away. And now you don't have to carry the burden of being burdened. You're free. It's kind of like, again, I'll tell you another story. Ever been to Chaco Canyon? Wonderful, beautiful national park. It's one of the hardest ones to get to. It's dirt road to get into it. I, and my brilliance, took the family minivan on it. <laughs> Blew a tire. I'm in the four corners of New Mexico, 60 miles from the closest town, with zero radio, and somehow my kids found cell reception. I don't know. You must be like, when you must be born after 1999, you must have a, your brain must be wired to know how to find cell reception, because we're stuck on this dirt road in the middle of New Mexico, and they're like, wait, right there, got it. How do you do that? (laughs) You're like a water witch. Used to do water witching. Now it's cell witching. And finally, you're sitting there and your t- tire's blown out. You don't know where the minivan spare is. It's really awful. They put it like under the seat. Somebody comes by. They pull over and say, can I help? And you're like, thank you, thank you. I don't care what I look like. Just get me out of here. Get me to that Walmart and Gallup. Because it's 4th of July weekend, and that's the only place that's open. <laughs> get me there. You, they, you know that feeling when you get rescued and you just, you, you just like, thank you, thank you, thank you, and you know you're not self-conscious about it anymore? Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. And when that burden goes, that's what's like the burden is gone, and you sing for joy. You sing for joy in a way that's Uncontrolled. True faith cannot be controlled. It can't be contained, and if you try to regulate it too hard, you kill it. So here's the next question. When did you last sing for joy? What made you sing? When did you feel that burden taken by God, and all you could do was respond? What was that like? What was that like? All right, verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. You have opened my ears. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And so I said, here I am, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I love to do your will, O my God. Your law is deep within me. Okay, the Psalms have a lot of verses about animal sacrifice and all the killing of sheep and goats in the temple. Uh, Even though it's all over the first five books in the Bible, interestingly, in the Psalms, they're almost categorically negative about it. The psalmists are always, you don't need bulls, you don't need sheep, you don't need goats. And the writer here is realizing that he has been given this great help from God, this great joy, this new lease on life, And the second chance, and essentially, God forgave him whatever was done. God forgave whatever was in that past and showered him with blessings without him having to make an animal sacrifice. That's when he realizes God's grace isn't something you earn through a sacrifice, but it's something God gives to those who ask it. That's it. You just have to ask. You do not need to kill a sheep. So tell your neighbor in Picture Rocks, they're safe. (laughs) Don't worry. God forgives me without your sheep. But then it goes on. And then it goes on that he has decided, because of God saving him and pulling him out of his problems, the desolate pit, the miry clay, that he will willingly follow God's law from the depths of his heart. So he responds to grace with obedience. So here's the next question. Have you ever held yourself back from accepting God's love because you didn't think you'd done the right thing first? Have you ever struggled with just accepting grace? All right, let's take it home. Verses 9 through 10. I proclaimed righteousness in the great assembly. I have not restrained my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness in my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your deliverance. I have not concealed your steadfast love and truth from the great assembly. One thing about our world today is that we generally don't believe in truth. Not with religion, right? It's not objective. We believe in my truth. Right? It's all over the internet. There's millions of those little vertical videos. I'm going to live my truth. I'm a worse TikToker. (laughs) Right? Did you see me? I'd probably get a lot of views, but for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Meme, lame pastor dances, reaction. Okay. I'm going to live my truth. And nobody's going to stop me. And I go, okay, well, what is your truth? I mean, if your truth involves stealing my car, then, then, then I, I think your truth is false. I don't know. They don't ever spell that out very much. What do you mean by live your truth? I mean, usually what I hear is that any path I want to go on, any direction I want for my life, any belief system I want to follow, it's all fine for me. It's all mine. The point is you can't tell me I'm wrong, and you can't tell me what to do. And you're like, man, how do you talk about God in that kind of a world? I mean, books on books have been filled with with writers trying to prove God's existence. And for the most part, people are not terribly impressed. You know, assuming they even pay attention, right? I mean, I I have to admit, I don't run into a lot of people sitting and studying Christian apologetics. I've never been down at the Epic Cafe at fourth in university and somebody's going you know sitting there with their blue hair and their giant nose ring going I'm studying the proofs of God. That may have happened, I've never seen it. So in general people aren't terribly interested in you proving the truth but what can you do? You can talk about your truth. It's true, we, we don't want to push right? We don't want to push it on someone. We don't want to be the Taliban. You will believe, right? We don't want to do that, but what do we do? We can talk about this wonderful God and what God has done for me and how God has pulled me out of the desolate pit. We don't try to prove it. We don't try to force it. We just share our truth. What has God done to me? It's been amazing. We let the greatness of the experience be the selling point. The story of what God has done is the invitation for you to experience it and make it part of your truth. Now, the Psalms are written way before these modern ideas about relativism and all that kind of stuff. But the psalmist does the same thing I would do today. Just go and talk about what God has done for me. Speak of the faithfulness and deliverance and love of truth as you've experienced it. You can just say, hey, this is what God's done for me. It's been awesome. It's the final question. What is your truth about God? What is the song you would sing? What is your story of God's steadfast love and deliverance? Now, you can take these reflections home. Quite literally, I printed them out on the the back. There's a tape. You can grab them if you want to go. But I'm hoping this can be a good... Let say a template that you can use with the psalms to pray through it yourself to make the psalm story into your story. So, because often if you just read it, your mind glazes over it. But if you stop and you ask the question, because why did the psalmist write this? The psalmists didn't write this because they believed that everything, being a person of faith, was always going to be smooth. They wrote this. This is all again. This is like reading somebody's personal journal, complete with their highs and their lows, the struggles, what God's, you know, the, the pains. they they're giving they're they're giving you their struggle so that you can walk through it too, and sing through it, and pray through it. Because you can make it a guide for your own faith story, recognizing that the life of faith is not always a clear, smooth path, but is often full of ups and downs and lots of desolate pits and miry clay. And the psalmist writes that so we can participate in that too. And so I hope you can make this a guide for telling your story and recognizing the way God's worked in your life and the way God works through you too. Amen.